Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you for learning this week. It's going to be a fun episode, a little bit shorter, but packed with good information around how to ask good questions, how to do good due diligence on the private investments that you make. I'm really intrigued by the private investment world. I think our culture is is going so quickly, and it's amazing. The innovation that's taking place is beyond our comprehension sometimes, and I think it's continuing to go faster and faster, uh, which is awesome. It makes things faster. It makes things easier. It makes things cheaper, especially from a business perspective. I've been able to reduce costs, especially in software, over the last several years because of, of innovation. So it's really becoming a part of our culture. And it's also easier these days to raise money to do deals, to put companies together, to put projects together, to put investment together. And and those opportunities are just going to continue to increase. And, you know, I look at, okay, my perspective of a private investment is based on the experience that I've had. But how do you convey that perspective to the typical investor out there that may have some knowledge, but not as comprehensive of a knowledge? So I brought in an individual that I've known for north of 10 years. His name is Mauricio Raul with Premier Law Group. And Mauricio has seen hundreds, probably over a thousand deals, maybe even more than that in his practice over the more than decade that he has been in business. And he mainly specializes in the real estate space, but he's done business in other sectors as well, as far as raising capital for startups or for technology and so forth. So he he is agnostic essentially to, to the actual details of the deal itself. He is putting together the documents, the structure, so that the individual those that are you know, spearheading this project are doing it legally. So he's not getting into the, the logistics and the, the credibility or the leg- legitimacy of the actual value proposition itself, more of you know, just the legal documents and ensuring that money is being raised the right way. So he's been able to see really good deals, but he's also seen a lot of bad deals, things that have gone sideways. So I'm hoping that his perspective gives you some questions, some insight, things that you can do to improve your due diligence so that when you're taking your money and you are expecting somebody else to be a good steward of it, that you do as much as possible so that you leverage them, not just delegate the responsibility of them you know, getting you a rate of return, but it's understanding the accountability structure, understanding 
the value proposition at a high level, understand the principles of the business. Because remember, this season we've been talking about good business equals good investment. And if you have bad business principles and acumen, you're most likely going to have a failed investment at some point in the future. So you want to be aware of all of that upfront, as well as get the appropriate financial education in order to ask the right questions, the best questions, those quality questions. So Mauricio, he's going to give you that perspective. It's going to be awesome. You guys are going to love uh, love the episode. So thanks for the support. Thanks for listening in this week. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Okay. I have a good uh, good buddy on with me right now, Mauricio Raul, the Premier Law Group. And Mauricio, thanks for taking just a little bit of time. You've been on before and you know we've known each other for you know the better part of uh, a decade. Yeah. You know, I look at your position and it's as far as what you do professionally, and it's very unique because you get to see investments from a vantage point that really nobody else gets, and you get to see a lot of it. So maybe would you just talk specifically about what your specialty is when it comes to private investments? And then we can kind of get into just the experiences you've had over the years. Yeah, of course. I'm a, you know, the short of it is I'm a syndication attorney. Uh, I'm an SEC lawyer, which means I help primarily real estate investors raise capital to then place into real estate investments. Those are multifamily deals. They might be single family. They might be self-storage. They might be mobile home parks. There's really all kinds of uh, variety of investments. And so I've kind of seen the gambit over the last several years now, primarily multifamily, let's be honest. I mean, that's been kind of the hot the hot asset class, but um, that's not exclusive. I mean, people raise money to invest in all kinds of things. And so I've had the privilege of seeing all types of little different asset classes and how people have been structuring and how, how successful people have been in acquiring that capital. And you look at, you know, most people, and again, this is like the novice person that doesn't really understand the legality of it all, but, but someone just can't go out and say, hey, give me your money and I'm going to invest it for you right? That's not legal. You can't do that. And so there's, you know, the public world, which is what most people are familiar with, where, you know, you have high levels of accountability, right? You have very liquid capital markets, right? But it's a very, the barrier to entry is, is really high. But then you have the private, you know, the private uh, investment, right? And it's a huge, I mean, it's been around forever and it's, it's massive, okay? You don't hear much about those types of investments. At the same time, you know, there's, a legal way of doing it and an illegal way of doing it. And obviously the illegal way of doing it gets a lot of people in trouble. And I know you've, you know, you've, you've seen that, you write about it quite often, but there's the right way of doing it. And you ensure that the right way is, is taken when a person raises money to make sure that they do it the right way. You're agnostic to you know, the type of investment. I mean, you obviously specialize in real estate, but you're agnostic to where the project is, you know, who's the principal, who the investors are, right? You're just on the sidelines, really putting you know, the paperwork and the legalities uh, together and, and a lot more than that. I know, I know I'm just, you know, just, just <laughs> summarizing. I know you do a lot more than that. But in a nutshell, like, what else comes to mind as far as like, you know, your, your position of what you do? Yeah, that's exactly right. I always tell people there's two things you're doing. One is you're raising the capital and number two, you're deploying it right, in whatever you're doing. And so I handle the raising capital. Like you said, I'm totally agnostic. Uh, we do do non, you know, non-real estate deals. We've done a couple of cryptocurrency funds. You know, that's been a hot, a hot thing last year. So some people put together cryptocurrency funds. And I've also done, you know, uh, startup tech companies that are that are software companies that are putting together a fund, uh, sort of around around a raise. By by and large, you know, a hundred percent of my clients are real estate investors. They they just happen to sometimes venture off in other things. But uh, yeah, so I see a little bit of everything. 
Well, let's get into let's get into kind of the topic at hand because the outcome that I wanted to help listeners with is to ask better questions, do better due diligence, look for things inside of you know an investment, a business, what they're putting money into, which will make them a better steward of their investment so that they're not just blindly handing money over to somebody and you know crossing their fingers that it will it will work out. So your your vantage point is that you're able to to see you know all these different types of investments and meet a lot of different syndicators, those that have been doing it for you know decades. And not to say that those that have been doing it for decades are are you know going to be successful, right? Because they equally get stuck in their ways and ultimately make bad decisions based on the modern economy and and not you know end up well. But for those that you have you've seen consistently do well by their clients. Those that have you know succeeded with you know raising money and deploying it in a way where they not only return you know the investment but a return on the, the right, investment right because right. right? ultimately most private investments you know fine print in a nutshell is like you can lose all your money and we are not legally responsible if that happens you know that's ultimately right. what it says right. Right? right so it's like you know what are things that you see consistently that are done the right way and then you know uh, done the wrong way conversely. Yeah, so I, I really like the way you frame that in terms of one of my favorite things. You know, if you want better answers, you've got to ask better questions. And so what are the right questions that investors should be asking or at least looking at? You know, one of the things clearly that I see people are doing this really successfully is they've got a track record, right? So track record is huge. Anybody can put together a fancy business plan. Anybody can throw numbers in a spreadsheet and, and make it seem like the investments, you know, out of this world. But somebody actually has to execute on that plan and actually make it happen. And that's a lot of times easier said than done. One thing is to raise money and you can get people who are great at marketing and great communicators, but somebody actually has to do the work. So having a track record is important. I think it's very important, actually. It doesn't necessarily need to be a track record in syndication. Uh, this might be somebody's first ever syndication, but at least they've got a track record of doing it themselves and they've had a successful track record where whatever thesis they're putting forward, they've actually tested it and they're doing well. And now they've just hit a wall like everybody does, which is you've run out of your own money, you've run out of your own resources, or you just want to scale. If you suddenly find an investment that's really working well and you're limited by your resources, then syndication is just a great way to pool other people's resources, whether it's cash or credit or relationships or experience or whatever those resources are, it's a great way to scale. So a, a track record, though, I think, track record slash execution, because you've got a terrible track record, that doesn't work. But a, tra- a, a good, consistent track record of executing is really important. I think that's where we see, look, you and I know a lot of syndicators who've been doing this for a long time who are able to raise tens of millions of dollars on one email or one quick webinar or something because of the track record, you know, as opposed to if this is your first time, it's a little bit harder to raise the money. So to me, track record is the first thing you want to look at for sure. So what are maybe some other things there? Because obviously track record, yeah, you want to make sure that this isn't the person's like first, first rodeo, or maybe if it is, you know, I came across an investment where it was the first time this guy was syndicating. And I actually ended up, it took me about six months to put money into it, but I, but I eventually did it. It was a private investment in, in the energy and startup sector. But I did it because he had a partner and his partner had like 25 years experience, had done these massive billion dollar deals, right? So sometimes like if a person doesn't have a track record, right? It doesn't mean that it's not going to be a good investment, but 
you know, essentially looking at the principles involved, which is usually the case, right? Different partners, you know, a board potentially, like the team involved, that's also an important element. So, yeah. so what else? Like what else do you, you know, commonly see that frustrates investors or that investors, you know, end up losing because of? Yeah, I think the other one that's sometimes frustrating for me, I think, is just understanding the assumptions that the sponsor, that the person raising the money and doing the investment is relying upon. That's so important because if they're wrong on their assumptions or thesis, or maybe more importantly, if their assumption is not aligned with your assumptions, right? I'll give you a great example. In the multifamily space, there's an argument to be made. A lot of people are arguing that we're kind of at the end of the cycle or at the top of the cycle. And if that's your belief that we're at the top of the cycle, then you probably shouldn't be matching up with somebody who thinks we've got five more years to go. And I see that specifically in the underwriting. So obviously, one of the things you want to be doing is looking very carefully at the business plan and all the docs and the underwriting, which is essentially just the assumptions they're making. And just look out for some red flags. You know, the red flags, again, based on my personal beliefs, really, but some of the red flags, for example, if you believe that we're a little bit frothy on the cycle, that there might be some, you know, some headwinds coming in the next, you know, two, three years or next year or whatever, then you know, having somebody put a, a short-term bridge loan or a short-term debt in place to get you to the permanent financing three years later or two years later, that's a little bit risky if you think that something's going to happen because in a scenario like that, you really only have one exit strategy, which is this refinance into a permanent loan. And if you cannot do that for whatever reason, then now what? Right. So you probably have to sell the property. And now what happens? You know, probably you're having an issue getting financing because we're in a recession and it's probably the worst time to sell. So that's one example of assumptions you want to look at. The other one that I see a lot, and again, my job is not to question them. Like as the attorney, my job is just to make sure, number one, I understand what the assumptions are. And number two, that we just make sure the investors understand. So we disclose all those assumptions. But the other big assumption is rent growth, right? If you're looking into, especially on a real estate deal, Rent growth is really important because that, at least on an underwriting, will show you an increase in revenue year over year because rents are going up two, three, four, five percent. And again, there's an assumption being made that because rents have been going up, you know, a certain percentage over the last five, ten years in a particular market or submarket, that that rent growth is going to continue. That's an assumption. Whether you're right or wrong, I don't know, but that's an assumption, and it could be a an aggressive assumption where you might be assuming, you know, it's been five percent increase for the past. 10 years, so we're going to assume 5% every year, or maybe 2 or 3%. And what people forget is it's possible for there be no rent growth or even negative rent growth. So again, I think you just need to make sure that your personal, let's call it the personal investment philosophy or your assumptions are matching up with what the assumptions are of that particular operator. Yeah, it'd be interesting too, and I've, I've done this before to look at, you know, if those assumptions ended up being worst case scenario right? Negative growth, right? Or, you know, zero growth or occupancy not going up or what is the minimum occupancy, especially when a multifamily deal, it's like, and then see if the deal makes sense, right? So sometimes assumptions can layer risk onto the underlying underlying investment. But it's, again, that's the importance of like, you know, going through the business plan, understanding what's been done in the past and that's where you're going to start to differentiate, I would say, the true value proposition and where you're going to get your return. Here's a great question for investors to ask. Have you stress tested this model? Like, understand you know, how low can our occupancy be 
so that we can still, you know, sustain our debt. You know, you've got typically a requirement, as you know, Patrick, that typically you have a debt coverage service ratio of, you know, probably one and a quarter or something. And if it drops below that, you know, your lender's not going to be happy. So how much can occupancy drop and still maintain those levels so you're still good, you can cover your mortgage, even though maybe your investors won't be getting money, but at least you're not in risk of losing the property. You know, how much can rents drop and still cover it? I mean, you really want to stress test, and most of my clients do stress test, but it's not just stress testing, it's, it's finding out what that stress test is. And I think the easiest one or the, the first one you should look at is, you know, how low can we go for us to basically break even? Like at what point are we having problems? But so stress testing, all of these is really important. Well, dude, this has been super, super helpful because, you know, I think it comes down to the statement you made. It's like, I think the quality of an investment, you could even say, is, you know, is corollary to the quality of the questions that you ask. And because that leads to your understanding, you know, of what the value proposition is, what the syndicator is doing and how your money is going to be put to work. You know, without that knowledge, it's a gamble. Yeah. So what else, like, what else do you see as far as like things to look for? that you see when, when investors go crazy in a bad way, right? They do, uh, you know, a, a suit or they do, you know, what, what happens between the time and you know, money is raised and the time that, you know, returns start to be paid out, the investment comes to fruition. Like what are some other things that frustrate investors that you can identify up, up front? One of the ones that I think is critical and actually goes both ways. I'll give you an example of how this particular topic goes both ways is clearly something that investors don't like and will result in them not coming back a second and third time is a lack of communication with the investors or a lack of transparency. So one of the things that a good operator will do will not only be consistently communicating with their investors in good times, but especially when bad times come, that's when they continue to communicate. And sometimes the operators that I know that are really doing it well is they over communicate when things aren't going well. You know, one of our mutual friends likes to say that builds trust, like actually, you know, a lot, not only respect, but trust, because it's, it's a lot harder to get on the phone call and tell people, Hey, you're losing money or you're not going to get a distribution, but people understand it. And in general, most people understand, especially if it's not your fault, things happen, things, you know, things never go according to plan. And so having that communication level, that goes a long way for the investors. And the flip side is the same too. I've got, we were talking about this before we went on. I've got clients who will literally pick up the phone and have a phone call, a one-on-one phone call with all their investors when the distributions are made because nobody's happier in the deal as the day they get a check in the mail or an, or an ACH in their bank. And so giving them a call and say, hey, Patrick, you know what day it is today? It's payday, baby. <laughs> That's just that creates that rapport with the investors, but it's a happy time. And um, in this particular client of mine who does this, is very successful in raising capital over and over again because he is building that level of you know trust and communication. You know, our buddy Kenny Ken McElroy does this a lot too. He he puts together events with his investors so he can get to know them really well and just try to provide more and more value because you know the old adage is we do business with people we know, like, and trust, right? So the more you can get to know them better, trust, have them trust you. And I think communication just goes a long way with that trust factor. Yeah. And transparency, it's involving, it's enrolling, right? Because this is money that people have worked for and have earned, right? And they're now giving, they're handing it over to somebody that didn't earn it, right? And so looking at, you know, how they place their expectations is, is vital. And, you know, I, I look at, again, track record. Sometimes I try to find out you know, when things didn't go right, 
when things went sideways, what did they do? And that really shows the character and not, it's not a guarantee, but it shows you what they will likely do if things don't go according to plan in the future, which I think is huge. Another good example that triggered is a lot of clients will, you know, forego some of their fees when things aren't going well. Like you, you may have, you know, an ongoing asset management fee, for example, as the manager, you know, as the operator, just to keep the lights on. And maybe that's two or 3% of the gross. But if the investors aren't getting their money, even though legally you're entitled to take that, you don't really want to be in a situation where you're getting paid and the investors are not, you know, or, or getting paid less. So a lot of my clients will forego an asset that the asset management fee. And I also have clients who, instead of, you know, things are really going south and a cash call, for example, is required. A lot of, a lot of operators will actually step in and, and not do a cash call, but just come out of pocket themselves and really try and avoid that at, at all costs. And again, that just goes back to the track record and the reputation of that operator. And, and those who do that tend to do well the second and third time, especially when you get these referrals, right? When, you, when you're asking somebody else, hey, Patrick, I know you've invested with this operator before. What can you tell me? When you say, wow, that operator, you know, the last one wasn't great, but this is what they did during those tough times. I think that goes a long way. Man, this has been super helpful. I mean, obviously this perspective, it, it sounds like it may not be, you're just, they're, they're simple things, but usually it's those simple things right? They make the biggest difference. It's like, you know, between a gold medal and fourth place, gold medal is like known throughout history, fourth place, it could have been, you know, half a second behind nothing. Nobody remembers. So it's one of those, those really, those marginal things, those details are what usually makes the biggest difference because, you know, in the end, I think there's always going to be opportunity, right? There's always market cycles. There's black swans. There's so many things that come out of the woodworks that, that people just can't anticipate. At the same time, when that happens, you have two ways of reacting, right? You have your gut and your chemicals, which pretty much leads to you know, bad decisions, <laughs> right? Or you have you know, your principles, your values, right? That I think you can identify up front in people, especially experienced people. And that's what's likely to happen when things go sideways. Yeah, I know. I think when things go tough, that's when you find out a lot about the person, their character and their, you know, their, their work ethic. And are they people who bail on you or are they the ones that stick around till the end and beyond? Well, Mauricio, let, why don't you, I, I know that there are, it's by far not our, our audience, but for those who are, you know, exploring SEC attorneys, you know, those that help businesses help an opportunity raise money legitimately, you know, the, the legal way, how can people get a hold of you, learn about your firm, and ultimately do business with you? No, it'd be great. Thanks. Uh, so website's a good one, premierlawgroup.net. Again, premierlawgroup.net. And I also, I put a lot, a lot of content and I'm starting to upload those more and more into my YouTube channel. So if you just go to, just not Google, but if you just go to YouTube and put in Mauricio Raul, my YouTube channel should pop up there. And I try and add as much value as I can and do some educational videos on there. And I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. It's, it's hard to miss me. <laughs> well, that might be a great for the majority of the audience then, because if you guys go to YouTube and you see how Mauricio is educating those syndicators, investors that are raising capital and doing different private investments, you can see what he's teaching them. And that can help you be more informed in the ways in which capital is being raised, especially with private investment to help you become a better investor. So yep. that, that might be a great thing for you guys to do is subscribe to his channel. Right, and we'll put all those links in the show notes. You guys can visit us on thewellstandard.com and access all you know, of the things we've talked about today from a show notes standpoint, as well as uh, the links to Mauricio's uh, social media and, uh, and website. All right, man, I'll give you the final word. You got any words of wisdom for us? Just 
be a good steward of your money. Don't just hand over your money to anybody without doing some sort of due diligence. I mean, the due diligence is on the front end. It's not that long, but do it once and then then sleep better at night knowing that you've done everything you can as opposed to just blindly handing uh, over your money to somebody else. Well said, man. Well said. Well, it's good to have you on. Appreciate your time, Mauricio. Yeah, my pleasure. And, uh, we'll, we'll have you on again for sure. Thanks for having me, bud. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,